1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noon's is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
2: Hello, everyone. Happy uh, non-bye week, MLB playoffs, kickoff of the other sports, everything else, week. I
1: promise we won't talk about baseball playoffs more than like a minute or two this time around. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we lost tons of subscribers for talking about baseball this time. <laughs>
2: Hi, Yankee fans. <laughs> How's it going?
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. Most of the Yankee fans I talked to were uh, had been pretty realistic about about what happened yesterday and the overall season. That like, and this was surprising. I just think like the last decade plus has done this to them. Is that like, there's just a realism that's set in that like, if you're not a good team, you don't make the playoffs, and if you barely, you know scratch your way into the playoffs it doesn't necessarily mean you're just going to win it all and it, w- it was nice to see um you know actually every Yankee fan I've talked to has been incredibly realistic about this season and, and is actually thought of you know started talking future and, and in, in realistic and interesting terms
2: I'd actually tend to agree um which you know isn't always a hallmark of the Yankees organization but um I mean, this wasn't like the best Yankee team by any means, and they're being carried by two like players that were kind of finding like rejuvenated years unexpectedly, and the pitching really wasn't deep past Tanaka, who obviously was outclassed last night. So um, I think most of the Yankee fans who, you know, that I know that are pretty decent baseball fans were not shocked by what turned out.
1: Yeah, I would agree there. It's again nice to see them kind of join the uh the rest of us in uh, well the rest of us save San Francisco Giants and St. Louis Cardinals fans um in in mostly realistic expectations
2: yeah uh it's always it's always nice when they're not bloviating too much which we know in years past has been a hallmark of the Yankees franchise but I do think in the last like couple of years they have gotten better about that um which is good especially for those of us who live in New York City at this point uh it would kind of be a little insufferable. But my team has actually gone farther than the Yankees by default, so <laughs> cheers to me and all the Rather Met fans out there. All
1: right. I think that I think that is our allotment on baseball. I know uh, if we need to, we can swing back around later, depending on where the uh, Cubs-Pirates game is, uh, is currently going. But obviously we're here to talk Syracuse football, and like Dan said, we, uh, we're in a non-bye week. We're facing South Florida, and uh, for the first time ever in this series, this is not a conference game, I think we're all very, very thankful of that fact.
2: Yeah, um, I i know the South Florida guys were saying, you know, wouldn't you guys like to have us rather than, like, Miami or Florida State? Um, I'm not aware that we're in the same conference as Miami, I haven't heard that. Uh, <laughs> that hasn't been a thing that's factored into my life at all, Um Florida State, I mean, I guess it'd be nice that we could win a couple games against a team from Florida, but um, I don't know. South Florida doesn't really do much for me, um, especially because the memories we do have of them are not overwhelmingly good ones until the, the Marone years where we split uh, the four the four games. But um, I don't know. It's not the, worst, uh, not the worst game in the world. I'm, I'm okay going down to Tampa to play. Uh, we have some recruits from there which is which should be fun to get them out so and we always i think we're, we're expected to have a couple thousand fans down there as we usually do which will be cool
1: yeah um i know out of all i'm su's heads and i explain this to people all the time when i'm talking to them like and they're not as uh as dug deep in the weeds as i am and you are on on su but i always say you know like some of the surprising places that su really shows up uh on the road um you know all the Triangle schools, um, NC State in particular. We just have a really uh, decent amount of fans in Raleigh, and I feel like when we're down there, especially um, fans, just really kind of flock to the stadium. Um, it's a bit more lively than the other three um, ACC schools down in, uh, in you know the Raleigh-Durham uh, corridor. There, um, Tampa is another really surprising one Um Atlanta because we have a decent presence in Atlanta, and then when you factor in the folks in the Carolinas um, and folks in Florida. Um, plus, there's so many direct flights to Atlanta all over the country. It becomes another hotbed um, for road games. And then obviously, uh, you know, my home in Los Angeles, though we never really play out here ever, which is fine. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, Syracuse has like a, a almost strange number of hotbeds in terms of like both alumni and... Um, places where people have, like, fled the snow, especially the Carolina. this is, like, a real hotbed for former Central New Yorkers, so I think, like, for all of the attendance complaining we get about at the Dome, like, Syracuse travels even for football. Basketball, obviously, is a whole other animal, but uh, for football even, I think Syracuse travels quite well for what it is as a, as a program.
1: Yeah, um, and again, I know we've talked about this. Kind of the factor being a private school um, that doesn't really retain um, any of its grads, which is bad for the fan base. But as far as attendance goes, but um, for road attendance, it actually becomes a huge factor. Um, we actually travel pretty well. Um, you know, I think Texas bowl aside, I think bowl games are are always a tough barometer for how fan bases travel, um, despite their importance in. You know whether a team gets an invite or not, just because you know it's right around the holidays, it's right around New Year's, travel prices are increased. There's just a lot of things that would prevent you from really going to a ball game outside of your general metropolitan area. Um, but oh well. So right now, uh, we don't have to focus on that. We're just kind of focused on uh, the task at hand, and it's beating USF. Um, and obviously, uh, we have two big, big, big um, additions um, to bring in. In order to beat USF And that is Eric Dungey, Who missed the last game and a half uh, With an upper body injury A.K.A. concussion um, And then Irv Phillips Who had his uh, had surgery on his knee He's back in action um, I think both are really, really, really Going to matter here um, And while it might take them you know, A few snaps, especially Eric uh, To get back to the rhythm of things uh, I think the team is, is just significantly better With them in the lineup than out
2: absolutely i mean there's an argument to be made i think it really comes down to irv or steve ishmael as to who the best dual position player of the team is and i I, actually i think Grizzly's team is also working his way into that conversation with his play this year but anytime you get your starting quarterback or who will you know i guess we'll treat as our starting quarterback at this point with Terrell hunt out and you know one uh, either your best or your second best dual position player i mean that's going to be a huge boost and we really haven't seen as we you know we say this all the time but we Haven't seen what this offense really looks like at full go. Um, and assuming that the offense is like basically designed for Dungy to be good, which it seems like it is, um, having Irv in there and having Ishmael and and Brisley and getting the tight ends going. Um, and now we kind of have revamped our offensive line a little bit by sliding in Jason Emmerich at center. Um, this could be the first game, I guess, yeah, it would be because uh Irv didn't play in Swig Forest where we really see. You know, the training wheels come off a little bit and, and get this offense flying. And I know it might, you know, maybe we start off slow because Dungey hasn't played in, in a couple weeks. And and Irv, you know, really got played like a half of football, basically. Um, but I, I think we'll really start to get a good sense of what this offense looks like, which is exciting because it's been pretty good so far based on the limited knowledge of what we have of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've written an article, at least one article about this offense every single day. Um, well, at least every week um, Since the season started And that is, you know, and we said this last week You know, Lester's earned himself um, Most of our confidence at this point As he continues to uh, To really kind of keep us guessing um, And obviously if he's keeping us guessing It's, uh, you know, people that are really Really dug into the team And, um, you know, continually tracking uh, Especially in my end You know, what plays are being called it, It's great to feel surprised And feel like you're, you don't know what's coming next um, you know, even last week when it might've been a little frustrating to see the beginning of that game, uh, oh, well, not last week, two weeks ago, to the beginning of that game against LSU, um, afterward, you can kind of look at the methodology and go, okay, like I get it. Like there was a lot of runs to open up the pass. Um, you could see the team trying some new things. Even the wildcat was, uh, you know, I, I applaud it and, and we, we talked about some, maybe some other ways you could have ran it. Um, that could have maybe yielded a little bit more success, but Again, you know, Leicester keeps us guessing. There's nothing predictable about the offense. Um, You really don't know what you're going to see from play to play, and especially when Dungey's in. You get that option attack uh, that really kind of turns this all on its head even more so. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I just don't, and I know that uh, a lot of Bulls fans I've seen online seem um, at least a little optimistic about this game, and and I don't think SU is going to win this in a blowout by any means, but um, I just don't know if the Bulls had the athletes... Um, and the experience to keep up with an attack like this. um, That's going to feature a lot of speed, um, a lot of misdirection, um, and and there's going to be, you know, five or six playmakers who all factor in about equally um, in touching the ball.
2: Yeah, and it's, um, I think it's a, it it was nice to see two weeks ago um, Lester really unafraid to take chances, and and Schaefer as well, going forward on fourth downs, I think, um, if we learn anything from that LSU game. Um, it's that the, the coaches do seem to be understanding better when to utilize, uh, taking risks and going for it with different strategies and, and really maximizing your chance to win a game rather than going by the book every time. And Schaefer has been really conservative uh, up until this point, which is not too surprising for a defensive coach, uh, even one who is an aggressive defensive coach. Um, so it really does seem like we're opening things up and, and that'll, that'll uh, serve us well, I think going forward, um. And like you said, I don't think this will be a blow-up. by any means. USF, based on at least the uh, the S rankings from from Bill Connolly, um, they're pretty similar to what we saw with Wake Forest and Central Michigan, which were obviously not take walk games. Um, even when we pulled away from Wake, uh, and obviously it's on the road. I don't think it'll be a huge road advantage. And I do think that I'm sure you know people want to hear our thoughts on the opening line of uh, USF minus um, five. I think that's a little uh, aggressive coming from Vegas, but I I do think this will be a fairly, I don't expect Syracuse to win by more than like two touchdowns. We're best case. And I could see it being a a good deal closer than that. Although I do think Syracuse is a legitimate favorite here.
1: Yeah. I, I, I was a little confused by this line. I think a lot of people are, and I mean, especially on the SU side, but, um, I've heard some murmurs just even like outside of our fan base talking about, you know like what's with this line? And obviously, Vegas doesn't know everything, but to me, what this says is um, as someone who whenever they go to Vegas, make sure they at least place a couple bets. it seems like it's trying to encourage a little bit of activity. Um, obviously, this is a bit of a throwaway game uh, to most bettors if you're, uh, if you're in the casino, um, just because you know it's two teams that, that don't haven't really showed up on the national radar lately um it's a 3:30 kickoff uh, that's kind of lost in a sea of other like interesting 3:30 kickoffs um, there's just a lot of questions and i think you know the minus 5 line was just to get people saying wait what and then the minus 3 kind um, of downgrade from there is is more of a a move to really just generate um, additional activity i think you know the fact that that says USF's probably still favored on a neutral field again um, not really not something I buy into. Obviously, I'm biased. Obviously, you're biased, and most of the listeners are as well. But um, I think most of this line has nothing to do with the teams, and, and a lot more to do with um, just creating, um, you know, some additional activity uh, on this game that might not have been there otherwise.
2: Yeah, and obviously there was some variance with with Dungy and Phillips, and I'm sure the betters were probably looked at like what uh, Zach Mahoney's numbers looked like in his LSU and and thought maybe there's a chance he would play, but usually Vegas would just hold off on setting a line if there was quarterback uh, questions. So it was interesting. I expected this to be more like a a pick-em or an SU-1 even, but um, I'm sure Syracuse fans uh, who were busy not being offended by it were happy to double up the... uh, the bets on there, and and I'm, It seems that way, considering, like you said, the line moved full two point two full points in, in like two days. So, and I wouldn't. I expected to keep on going that way. I wouldn't be shocked if this ended up being like USF minus two by the time game kicked off. Maybe even one and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I uh, I do wish I'd been in Vegas when this line first came out because I would have put a significant amount of money uh, on Syracuse at plus five. Uh, <laughs> it's just. You know, and, and again, you see these every week. There's a lot of wild ones. I do agree with you. I think that that line really should have probably waited on the Dungey decision one way or the other. Um, but I guess they didn't want to miss out on that early action. Um, I know with Penn State and Illinois, um, I know you sometimes a little more tapped in on the national front. I didn't really know what was holding up this game from getting a, a line set on it. But I know as of yesterday, at least, there wasn't one still
2: um I actually haven't looked at that um I think isn't Saquon Barkley Penn State's a really good freshman running back I think he has been a question uh injury wise so that could be it um and and Illinois is like a weird team like they you know they they look better than they people probably should but the stats don't quite bear out what they've looked like and Penn State's not very good so it's it's kind of a weird a weird game um But I think Barkley's been an injury question, so that's probably why that line wasn't posted, although I'm going to look right now to see if it's up now.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the line's up yet, but I did see that Barkley is back on the practice field today. Um,
2: Oddshark says it opened at minus eight. Penn State minus 8, which seems really big.
1: I just don't know what I think about Illinois. Um, I don't think they've really beaten anyone of note, but they have just looked like a better team, under Cubit, I don't know necessarily if they would have done the same under Beckman. I think they could have. Um, I didn't really see them struggling at the beginning of the season um, when I was looking through their schedule, um, you know, about a month out from the season starting. But again, I, I guess we'll probably. Like, I don't really know what to think of either team. To be honest, I don't think Penn State's that great. I think their offense is deplorable. Uh, I think the defense is overhyped. Um, but Illinois, I just think that you know they might be a little bit tougher than people would have thought, but, and you know, no great shakes there. I think you could say that about most of the big 10. That's a take takeaway from, um, you know, really solid, I think top five right now in, in that league, uh, of Ohio state, Michigan state, Michigan, Northwestern and Iowa with Wisconsin kind of bringing up the rear. Um, that's a, that's a decent top six. It's better than what the ACC has right now, um, in my opinion, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things we'll see. If Illinois pulls the upset, then maybe we start talking about Illinois, a 5-1 and one Illinois team, mind you. Um, you know, suddenly they can ball, thinking maybe a little bit more than that.
2: Uh, we actually have it mixed up. It's Penn State, uh, Indiana this week, and it's oh. Illinois, Iowa. Oh. Yeah, which doesn't make a huge difference, I don't think, in terms of the line would be because I think Indiana <laughs> and Illinois are profiling similarly, where they're kind of overachieving, maybe look to take the step forward. Um, well, in I actually are we'll taking Indiana. I love Indiana there. <laughs> Like, I might actually cough. You know, I would never actually gamble (laughs) on college sports. But hypothetically, if someone was to ask me if I wanted to place a wager, Indiana money line might not be the most unattractive thing I could do this Saturday. Um, Based on how Indiana's looked so far and how Penn State's looked so far. Uh, But plus eight, it's a huge line. And Illinois is getting ten from Iowa, which Iowa looks pretty good. But Iowa beating anyone by ten is an iffy proposition.
1: I would take, I would take Illinois as low as, I would take Illinois as low as plus five on Iowa. I would take Indiana as low as plus four? No, wait, three. It's just, screw it. I would take Indiana straight up against Penn State right now.
2: I think I might actually do that now that I'm aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> like... That's going to be a pretty decent money line. That's um, dumb. <laughs> I'm trying to find the total. The total for the Illinois-Iowa game is 45 and a half, which streams under as well.
1: Oh, without a doubt.
2: <laughs> as It's like the anti, uh, what was it, Texas Tech-Baylor last week was like 90. And Screaming as, over. And cra- as crazy as 90 seems, it covered with like eight minutes left. Yeah. Like it wasn't even, it was like, yeah, that's at a hit.
1: This degenerate spot is sponsored by DraftKings. (laughs) DraftKings, want to lose your money while our employees reap the benefits?
2: Oh. Oh, DraftKings. Too fun.
1: Anyway.
2: It should be noted that SB Nation is a FanDuel partner. Are they? Yes.
1: Oh. I always always (laughs) lose track because literally everyone has a sponsorship with either DraftKings or, or FanDuel. Which is just too much. Um, yeah, so going to the actual game, uh, we're turning it to Shutdown Fullcast in terms of how many minutes we can go without talking about a single game.
2: Hey, we just talked a lot about a hypothetical Penn State-Illinois game. That's true. Does that game happen this year? <laughs> I don't Has think so. Has it happened so. let me, already? Let me, let me, No, it hasn't happened already. Let me look. Um, oh, it does. We-
1: on Halloween. Ooh.
2: Sign that's one. that. <laughs> I, that's what I think we can all find something better to do on that yeah, day. Yeah. It'll probably air the same time as the Syracuse-Florida State game. which Also yes. Yeah, which
1: I'll DVR, and we'll try to watch the entire thing. But, you know, although even if we lose this year, I don't really see that game getting out of hand.
2: No, I mean, if Wake can lose, if Wake can hold it to 8, I'm pretty sure we can do similar things. Granted, Obviously, it does not look good. No, they don't.
1: But they're still undefeated, and at the end of the day... Uh, if, if you knock around people, all, you know, all season, you still finish. And realistically, I think this is a non, probably ten and two team. I think we'll know a lot more if the Miami game. Um, I think this is a ten and two squad. Um, I mean, that Clemson game is looming. I think Clemson beats Notre Dame by a hell of a lot more last week. If they, um, if they're not in a monsoon, um, and you know, I think Clemson. Probably that's a weird thing. Like Clemson could really run through the slate, and that's actually something that's going to help out Notre Dame a lot. as Notre Dame has gotten past you know some of their toughest opponents already? Um, this is suddenly you know a Fighting Irish team that that you know really is rooting hard for Clemson. And Clemson, I mean, what's what's really standing in their way? I mean, the, everyone's identifying the Georgia Tech game as a trap, and I agree, it's not it's been seen as a trap before it has been a trap for clemson i think a few years back um clemson was kind of climbing in the rankings they were looking great um and then they tripped and fell against uh an underwhelming paul johnson team this is another one of those i can't as much as i can't see clemson tripping and falling to this georgia tech team i also can't see this georgia tech team given how high i was on them at the beginning of the season i think i had them in the top 10 to be honest and that shows how much i know about college football <laughs> I can't see them falling to two and four.
2: Yeah, it's tough. Um, the week after as well, BC, their offense is terrible, but their defense is ridiculous. And, um, I mean, we saw it with Duke. They, they lost nine to six, but BC's going to drag a lot of games into the mud. And I wouldn't be shocked if they won one of them. Now, I don't think Clemson will be that game, but um, I don't think Clemson's quite good enough to just roll this whole schedule. I, think that, I mean, they'll be favored here on and out, and rightfully so. But... I mean, it just doesn't stream a, it doesn't look like a 12-0 team to me. Um, and generally, those teams don't actually, you know, make it all the way. So, obviously, like, the, the, the most recent one that did was that Notre Dame team that got just absolutely blasted by Alabama in the national championship. But, um, yeah, obviously, this weekend, BC, Miami, which we'll see what Miami, I mean, I don't think they're that good, but... They play a very, very injured Florida State team this weekend, which should be interesting. Um, but Clemson has definitely established itself as the the definite favorite here, um, and they will be favored here and out. And uh, I mean, we don't really like Clemson, but it would be nice for the ACC to have another representative in the playoff. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. This 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 season, so ridiculous so far. There's like legitimately like 15, 16 teams that all look like they're bunched into this top tier. Um, so many teams haven't played a, a really quality opponent yet. It's it's impossible, really, to to diagnose. And usually by this point, we at least have a, somewhat of a clue. This year, we really don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bill Connolly and Roger Sherman kind of talked about this on a podcast. Ain't played nobody um, earlier in the week. Um, it's one of those things where you know we just don't seem to have um, those elite teams. Uh, we don't seem to have. Uh, you know, there's really bad teams either in the power conferences. I feel like even even in, well, except for Kansas, uh, I feel like most of the time there's at least some terrible teams to kind of even things out. Um, right now, we just have a really nice um, you know upper crust of about 16, 17 squads, as you mentioned. And what I'm excited about is you know how this thing, you know, 2007s itself into like a really fun, fun finish. Um, when you have teams like Northwestern possessing a real high quality win, um, when you have teams like Stanford, I know uh, Nicole Auerbach, uh USA Today, brought up um, that it's you know Stanford could be this year's Ohio State in terms of suffering kind of a, a shitty loss up front um, and then turning that into um, a nice run to a championship. I, I just I really like um, the potential for the 2015 season. Uh, to be a wild one, to be a fun one. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. And to be honest, I, I, I like our chances to at least factor in, even if it doesn't result in any huge upsets. Um, this this year just reeks of, like, whatever you think is going to happen, just throw it out the window.
2: Yeah, I think you made a nice point. from Kansas is the worst team in the Power Five, and I don't think there's a question. Um, and I think we've seen, I mean, we would have been in that list last year and, and all through G-Rob like that, that group of like ten teams at the bottom, with Colorado and Indiana and Illinois occasionally, and Wazoo. Um, and this year, it seems like a lot of those teams, even the ones that haven't shown it on the on the uh, in the record book yet, have really taken a step forward. I mean, I think Purdue's a lot better than they than they have been. I don't know how many wins they'll get, but they legitimately almost knocked off uh, Michigan State last week. I think Vanderbilt has a really good defense, and they just can't score. Um, there aren't that many really awful, awful Power Five teams. I think Kansas is really the list.
1: Yeah, I mean, take a look. You know, I mean, don't no look any further than freaking Purdue. Um, I mean, part of that is is, is the typical, you know, Sparty know that I thought was dead and apparently not. Um, you know, Purdue really testing them at the end. But yeah, it's it's nice. It's fun. It's interesting to to see out of that group of sixty five schools or so. Um, To really have, you know, only one, maybe two. Um, Rutgers, I guess I'll throw you a bone here. Um, (laughs) Just god-awful programs while everyone else really seems to be beating each other up. Um, And I know you and I talked last year, and I've said it numerous times. You've said it. Um, I'd love to see the playoff committee get tested. Um, It doesn't seem like it's going to get tested at all this year in terms of an unbeaten uh, group of five school. I think a lot of non-power teams have already, even the best ones, have already picked up a loss. There's really only a few left out there. Temple, Memphis, um, Toledo kind of stand out. Is Houston still undefeated?
2: Uh, They are. And Houston. The AAC is really good this year.
1: And also really bad. Hello, UCF and Connecticut. Civil conflict is going to go ham
2: next weekend. Let me tell you that. I hate to say this. I think UConn wins that game by like 10 points. <laughs> UCF's remarkably bad.
1: I don't understand how.
2: George O'Leary has to fire himself. Yeah. That has to happen. That team's so bad. And UConn, they're not good, but they're not nearly as bad as UCF right now.
1: No, diako's actually... I have to give it... Like, I would never vote him like coach of the year. But at the same time, like if Diaco gets this team to like, four wins, I think he deserves some consideration for it. Because the talent level coming in, the talent level on the team, like, is dog shit. Uh, no pun intended for the Huskies. But um, I, I, I have to give UConn some credit for actually putting, like, a decent product on the field this season.
2: Yeah, SMP, UConn's at 99, which is maybe at the high end of what people could have expected from them. Maybe, And I think they're, they probably show a little better than that on the field. UCF's at 126, ahead of North Texas oh. and UTEP. And behind Kansas and Rice.
1: Holy crap.
2: That's Dude. out of 128. Folks. Well, Rice is another team that should have been better. Rice is 2-3. I don't know what's going on with them. Uh, and they're usually pretty, pretty salty. But uh, I'm not sure. I haven't watched any Rice. I don't, I, I don't even know. They, they lost to Texas, which they, they put up 28 points on Texas, which is actually not a bad effort. Um, they beat North Texas, who's behind them, and they killed. Why is Wagner playing Rice? Yeah. What?
1: Rice probably just handed them like a $3 million check.
2: Wagner from Staten Island went to Houston for a game.
1: Rice probably paid them out of their endowment. That's
2: probably right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, funny enough, the most interesting game I watched last weekend, um, and it didn't even end up that close, was, uh, what's it called? Freaking Tulane and who were they facing? Tulsa? Tulsa? Who was Tulane facing last week? Whoever Tulane was facing last week, that game.
2: Uh, they played UCF. Oh, you're right. So yeah, that was the game that I watched
1: last week, and surprisingly, that was a fun one. Um, a lot of points. Yeah, I have an odd soft spot for Tulane. I know we've talked about. We actually spend a lot of time talking about Tulane
2: on this podcast. Mostly because their 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 masked out history is pretty pretty great, pretty impressive,
1: um, and the first live football game I can remember was Army and Tulane in '98, uh, the undefeated season for the Green Wave. Well, Sean Kang just just throwing it around the yard against the uh, the Black Knights there. Yeah, that uh, they're an interesting team. I want them to be good so bad. And, like, I mean, not, like, better than us, but, but good. Like, I mean, you and I both kind of root for, like, private schools here and there to do well, especially, like, non-traditional ones, like, outside of, like, the SCs and Miamis of the world. Um, but, yeah, Tulane's just a team that, I mean, you look at their schedule right now, and, again, sorry to everyone that we're now 30 minutes in and we barely talked about Syracuse. Um, they're, they're probably going to lose to Temple this weekend. Um, they're probably going to lose to Houston, Navy, and Memphis Knock themselves down to two and six, but then they close the season versus Connecticut at Army, at SMU versus Tulsa. We could see a really fun ride for the Green Wave winning four straight to get themselves the ball eligibility and maybe, maybe even contending for the West Division title when you look at the fact that they already have one win over UCF. Uh, those next four games are going to be losses, so they'll be one and four. Um, And then they have three games in there. Now, unless this is assuming Memphis just craps out um, and that Houston does too, but bear with me, Tulane could be fun. Tulane could get to four and four in the AAC and that could mean a bowl game and should mean a bowl game. It'd be great to see that. Um, I I know they've made one recently, but nice to see that, you know, kind of the 10 year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina and and them really, you know, rebuilding that program and that campus and everything else Um, be cool story.
2: Syracuse versus Tulane in the New Orleans Bowl. Who doesn't go? Uh, well, I'll be
1: there. That's that's a fact.
2: I've missed so many. I have a, a long-standing tradition of missing opportunities to go to New Orleans, um, which started with when Sean and I were supposed to be able to go to cover the Final Four uh, when we lost to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been, like, two or three other instances where I was supposed to go to New Orleans and have then had to not go. So... I would find a—that game's like—that's like, like the first bowl game, I think, or it's like one of the first bowl games. I'd probably find a way to make it down there.
1: Yeah, I would do what I could. Um, I mean, granted, I'm going to New Orleans for sure in 2017 before I head up to Baton Rouge for the game, but you can't turn down an experience like that to go to a bowl game. I mean, realistically, as a Syracuse fan lives in California, I'm never going to any game but the Pinstripe Bowl and not even that anymore i went to one
2: but hey the the foster farms bowl bc went last year we could totally do that
1: you know what though i don't know if they're gonna buy the brand value of syracuse up in san francisco now if they do i'm happy to go and and if we get some fluke invite to uh the poinsettia bowl or the holiday bowl which is never happening or if la gets that christmas bowl going that'd be fun um, I have friends in Austin. And Austin wants to get that bowl off the ground. There's also the Arizona bowls if we really wanted to. If we get a fluke invite to the Sun Bowl, I could definitely make. Eh, I really don't want to be in El Paso. Me and my family lives in North Carolina, so any of
2: those bowls are up are up for grabs, I guess. Those are all the options. Military bowl would be good.
1: Yeah, military bowl. I don't know if I'd be able to get to. Any North Carolina bowls I'd be able to get to because at least I'd have a place to crash. Military bowl, now, now, now we're playing with fire. But yeah, I I, uh, I, mean, again, I I think we bored people enough. It's time for halftime. <laughs> we've, again, somehow spent 30. I don't think we've ever, ever, ever pulled that off before of just, just rambling for, for 30 minutes.
2: Maybe not that like that, but we've done some. I mean, in, in like yeah, years past, we've had some like off season t- yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had some off season tangents. This is like mid season, though, so that was pretty good. Yeah. I'm proud of us.
1: All right. So, Dan, what have you been drinking?
2: Um, a decent amount uh, recently, which is nice. Um, I think we've covered stuff from when I was in Syracuse, but uh, since then, um, not uh, Southern Tier Pumpkin, but one of my other favorite pumpkin beers, Pumpkinhead Head Ale from. Shipyard, which is not quite as like deep and super pumping it's It's way more drinkable. It almost drinks like a, like an American Pale Ale, um, which is nice. Uh, Honey Spot Road White IPA, which I bring up a decent amount from Two Roads. One of my favorites that I can find pretty easily around here and when I'm Connecticut especially, um, All Day uh, IPA, Two Hearted uh, from Bells, which I have a decent amount. And then the one that I know is very popular... Um and well thought of that I had never had before, I found a, a Jai IPA from uh, or High Life. Sorry, I've watched Mad Men. I don't know how I made that mistake. Um, from Sadar City Brewing, which I just happened to randomly stumble upon in a bodega in Brooklyn. So um, good. and it's amazing. It's really good. Um, in terms of like a really solid citrusy, um, really drinkable, but also you get you know the nice hop profile. Um, just a really good IPA. One of my, one of the better ones I've had. So I was really happy. I, as soon as I saw that, I snatched it up, which was, uh, it was good. I was definitely, uh, understood the hype for that one.
1: That one though, I will caution. I love it. At about the two and a half week mark though, just falls off a
2: cliff. Uh, we drank all of it like yeah, the first night. So that, that was, for the best. <laughs> yeah. that was not a problem.
1: Yeah. It, it oddly, I know, uh, a, a friend had sent me a few, um, and I had one about a week and a half old um, and then I had one about two and a half weeks old and started to say, hmm, thing might be at the end of its life and then I had another one like four four to five weeks and I was like, whoa, like this is, uh, this has
2: dropped quite a bit. That doesn't surprise me tasting it because it did, it did seem like something that, I mean it does, it tastes really fresh, so right. I was happy to, to get it and we, we didn't have any issue polishing off that sits back the first night. <laughs> All right.
1: Um, For me, I stopped over at Smog City Brewing. have a little Cuddlebug. They're really, really delicious sour. Um, uh, They try to bottle it every so often, but still great on draft. Uh, They're California Love. It's Imperial Red. Um, Just a really, really good beer. Uh, What else have we been drinking? We've been drinking a Grunion Pale Ale from Ballast Point. Kind of their new uh, pale ale they just have sitting around. I think Calico was the old one. Um, and Grunion's kind of just a much better beer. Um, It's nice to see that around. Um, Also drinking King Harbor's Pale Ale, The Quest. Um, Stopped over at one of their two tasting rooms in my area. Um, They also had um, Eau de Tarte uh, from the brewery. Just a really, really good Flemish Red. Got some nice sour notes on it. Um, Again, just another excellent beer from them. I know I'm looking forward to what the uh, rest of this year brings from them in terms of what I have on the docket now, there's uh, the Beer Confessions uh, Fest Parker uh, kind of beer wine hybrid obviously Black Tuesday is coming out um, they've got Imperial Cabinet which is like a, and can't see exactly what it was it's a, like kind of a cocktail inspired beer uh, that they made with Jester King uh, down in Austin It's a lot of fun stuff that uh, again very much looking forward to them releasing sooner rather than later
2: Good stuff. Yeah. And now back to more <laughs> AAC bull <bold> talk. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, for, 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 for a group of fans that did not have any desire to stay in the AAC, we talk an awful lot about them.
2: Well, I mean, the lead's actually, like, kind of fun this year. Like, the first couple of years have been pretty bad.
1: Yeah, this is actually entertaining. Um, we have reader questions. Uh, we actually answered one of them already from uh, J. That was, why does Vegas think USF is any good? Uh, so we kind of tore that one up. Um, Bradley Slavin asked, "How does Q's get votes? Is it a five and one start, three and O, oh, or three and one Q's didn't while teams with worse losses did? Perception. Um, to me, I think five and one probably five and one with a ten point loss. To the LSU gets votes. Um, I think if the right teams lose this week." A four and one Syracuse team could pick up a vote, but realistically, I think five and one um, for Syracuse with this schedule to start the season is is probably it, unless you beat LSU um, and then you lose to some other crappy team. Um, yeah, I think five and one is legit. Obviously, if you beat LSU, I think you were ranked after that win, and then just climbing from there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think this is a perception issue. Um, as much as just a like the only time they really care about who you've beaten is, is in the rankings and again at the end of the day it doesn't really matter where you're ranked if you're not ranked in the top four you don't make the playoff and you know everyone else kind of gets over it
2: yeah i kind of agree if we had beaten lsu i think we would be ranked or we'd be very close um I, I think five and one is where we'd i mean it depends on what other teams are doing um but i do think there's a wall you have to break through yeah um and I don't know if that South Florida or Virginia really does that or even Pitt. Um, if they were to beat Florida State, even if they had lost one of the next three, I think that would do it. Um, but I'm not sure if they get ranked unless they beat, um, like, actually break into the top 25 unless they go 6-1. and one. And even then, I could see it not happening. But I do think at 5-1, and one, we're at least on the precipice of receiving votes, especially if we win, like, pretty convincingly. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, to me, too. I mean, no, none of those teams would be, like, great. But I think a 6-1 and one SU squad has to. I mean, it's, it's a major conference team with six wins in seven games. Um, even if your three conference wins at that point would be UVA, um, Pittsburgh, and Wake Forest. Um, I, I think Wake Forest, oddly, um, while people just consider them bad all the time, I think people are also very quick to deem them decent. Um probably at a quicker rate than they are Syracuse, but maybe not as quick a rate as they they do with boston college um I think u v a is just kind of given the benefit of the doubt that they're probably somewhere in the four and eight to six and six range, even when they haven't been lately um and then I think Pitts just kind of just assumed six and six every year, so if you beat them, great, like that was not a reach, but it wasn't you know like it, it but it wasn't something like over like there was nothing. Nothing special about it, but but you still get a, a little bit of credit for doing so, and I think that's where you know Pitt at this point in the schedule um, kind of helps us out. Again, I, I at six and one, if you're not ranked, you are one of the next five out um, at at absolute worst, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think you know for for plenty of fans, it seems like there's a there's a trying to skip to the end, you know, the part where SU is a national title contender and all this crap and I just don't think that's something realistic every season to like set as the bar. I think the bar should be set at, you know, this year. This year for me, it was get back to a bowl game. Next year, start receiving votes. Year after that, be ranked. Year after that, be ranked for most of the season. <laughs> like, it's I, I'm more of a building block approach person. But obviously, if we if we skipped a couple steps, I I, I wouldn't be complaining at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it, and and just looking at the stat, the AC, ACC, which I think some of the advanced stat people like like Bill and a couple others are actually kind of bullish on this year, based because there there really isn't um, like the floor teams are not are, are a good tier better than they were last year. Like US Wake, Virginia is about the same. I think um, I think the floor is a lot higher than it has been. Uh, but I don't think I I do think there's something to perception and I don't think beating up on a lot of these non-Florida State Clemson um, ACC teams uh, will really do a ton Um, I think SU probably needs to do something like finish uh, eight and four with like a marquee win or like nine and three um, to really fight for for a ranking at the end of this year but like you said I don't think that's Necessarily, like I, mean, I think it would be good for the program to back in the top twenty-five, but I don't think you know if we don't this year, it's like some kind of huge uh, discredit to Syracuse or or some media bias or anything else crazy. I think it's just kind of the way these rankings, which are super unimportant now, um, just how they work. So while it's a little frustrating, especially if we do get to like six and one and people are still barely noticing, um, eventually it'll build up. Like, I, I think uh, eventually people will take notice. And the Twidgest way to do that is to beat in or Florida State, which probably won't happen this year, but I think it's more on the table than it has been in years past.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally buy that. Um, I guess talking about uh, narratives, getting into our game, um, Dan, to you, what is the big narrative for Syracuse um, in terms of what they need to do and maybe what people expect of them to do?
2: Um, well, I think the big talking point is is the return of Dungy and to a lesser extent, Irv. Um, I don't know if it should be a lesser extent, but I think that's just based on how I felt um, and seeing what they can do for a full game together. Uh, we wrote, talked about it a little bit before the before the break in the middle, um, but also I, I think this is kind of a, a strength for strength matchup, and or you know that might be a, a nice way of putting it compared to the the weaknesses opposite. Um, but for South Florida, apparently I haven't watched them yet this year, except for a little bit of the Florida state game. Um, they just run the ball and it's kind of weird cause Willie Taggart had a kind of a really nice attack at West, uh, at WKU, um, uh, before he was in South Florida, but apparently he just runs like the most boring, um, like someone described as a Stanford style, but like without Stanford's like big bruising athletes, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me considering their, you know, location in the world. Um, and that should play into what Syracuse likes to do in terms of stopping the run and, and being awful in the pass. Um, so I really like the matchup for Syracuse uh, in terms of style. Um, now obviously we've had a we've had a uh, the ability to make quarterbacks look really good. Um, and Twinton Flowers, you know, he, his numbers will probably look a little better than than what I've heard from South Florida fans, but he has not sacked a lot. His yards per attempt are, aren't uh, they're not great. But he completes um, 60% of his passes, which is pretty decent. Um, I'm a, always a little afraid that these guys will break out against us, but uh, South Florida fans seem pretty sure that it's not going to happen. Um, and in which case, if they're going to try to run the ball like 65% of the time, I think Syracuse will have a very good job, a very good chance of, of winning this one um, because that's exactly what Syracuse wants teams to do, as long as they don't have Leonard
1: Fournette. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a very good take on it. And honestly, for me. Um at least from the Syracuse fan perspective, it's it's seeing Eric Dungy get right back to what he was doing um, and, and doing so quickly. Uh, fans need to f- remember that, you know, Dungy really didn't warm up um, in terms of his effectiveness until the second half against uh, Wake Forest. He uh, he took a little bit to get, get going against um, Central Michigan, and then that second quarter just, you know, seemed like he was lighting the world on fire until he got knocked out of the game. Uh, took him a few uh, series to really you know kind of get going um even against um what's it called Rhode Island I think that you know this is a guy who obviously is very talented but again like young kid wants to feel out the opposing defense wants to see what they're going to do when he does other things he, he just he needs some time to test things out and it's going to be more so than you would usually see from uh, you know a veteran quarterback and maybe a veteran offensive coordinator as well since Tim Lester um this is his first go around um you know, at the D1 level. And that's fine. Um, as long as we're winning, as long as we're being competitive, um, I, I think we can all kind of accept that. Um, so the narrative for me is just, you know, again, Dungy bouncing back, this offense um, doing more of what they did the last game, to be honest. I mean, even against LSU, uh, a team that they really had no business hanging around with for that long, uh, they did hang around. They did some interesting things on offense in the second half. Um, and, and that was with a quarterback with a significantly lesser uh, skill set. Um, than Dungy in, uh, in Zach Mahoney. And it's not to take anything away from Mahoney. I don't think he was ever expected to be a starting quarterback uh, long-term for SU, although you ask others, maybe so. Um, for me, this is, you know, th- this is the game where, where everybody, um, and no, USF's not the best team on our schedule. This is the game where, where SU has everybody in. There are no more excuses of why this didn't work or that didn't work. Um, this is, you know, the team at mostly full strength. Um, you know, putting it to a team that should be um, should be inferior. Um, to what extent we can probably disagree for hours.
2: Yeah, uh, and I also think it's worth noting that this isn't just Dungy's first road game as a starter; it's his first road game as a college player. Uh, he's never been on a trip before here. Um, and the same goes for a couple of our other guys who are are young. So I think there there could be another... I wouldn't be alarmed if there's another slow start uh, learning curve type thing. Um, I think that'd be pretty understandable for a true freshman quarterback who is also coming off of a couple weeks of uh, you know injury slash buy so, uh, rest. So um, I wouldn't freak out or call for Mahoney or anything else not that I, I you know, I know how higher fans are on Dungy, but also how quick trigger they can be on occasion. Um, I, I think it would be very natural for Dungy to need to be eased into the game a bit, and I hope that our running backs are there to carry the load, including Phillips. So it'd be nice to kind of be able to to get off on that foot and then start to add in the pass as we want to extend the lead and, and try to, you know, really build in uh, Dungy's confidence as we have in, in games past.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? Like, you bring up a good point with the road game. I think I'd be a little more concerned if these games were flipped, this game in the UVA game. Um, I think if we were headed down to Charlottesville, while uh, while things are rough down there sometimes, I think that, uh, in general, it's a better road environment than uh, the Bulls played at a, an NFL stadium, played what the Buccaneers play. Um, I, I think this might actually help them out a bit. Um, gives them give them a larger stadium without the big stadium and big crowd feel Um, so to me I I think this is an ideal setup it sets up nicely for a lot of these younger guys to to understand the road um, and the nuances of playing on the road as a college player Um, and then maybe next week that's when you know okay you have that under your belt now we're going to head into a little bit tougher place to play um, in Charlottesville And, and to me again it's it's probably, it's not something we really thought about and we thought we had a veteran QB and a pretty veteran offense. Um, but now that we, we kind of have a lot of youth in there, I, I think that the way this sets up is actually uh, extremely beneficial
2: to us. Yeah, outside of having to play LSU, the schedule in general has been about as favorable in terms of the, the, the lineup and um, where teams are slotted as it really could have been. And I know we're going to end up playing... Um, A bunch of road games at the end. Um but it 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 works in our favor, especially as a team that that's looked to gain momentum early on in the schedule as we talk about all the time. Um and even these first two road games are probably the two most winnable road games, which is nice, like you said. Uh and South Florida more so than Virginia. So um yeah, I, I I'm excited for uh to see how he responds. Um and really interested. I I You know, every week, the the kind of fun thing about the Syracuse season has been the unpredictability. um, And while I'd like that to eventually settle, uh, it does make for, you know, um, kind of interesting viewing going into every game.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're an, I mean, and I think this goes for all Syracuse sports. We're just, we're a compelling team. Even if you are not a Syracuse fan, there's just, there's things pretty much all year now to talk about. That's you. And I just, Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. I can't necessarily say the same thing about every single program um, in Division I football or basketball, but um, it is what it is. I enjoy it. Um, but talking a little bit more about, I know we really haven't gotten into them, uh, the Bulls. Uh, Dan, what what is it do you, that you think they do well? Um, their offense is kind of one-dimensional. Um, this, I mean, similar to LSU, only in the sense that they run the ball a lot. Uh, but not similar in the sense that you know they have the same type of athletes as Leonard Fournette. Um, so so is it just, are you concerned with Marlon Mack or the running game overall? Are you concerned that Quentin Flowers suddenly does his best growth uh, Grothy impression? What's your, uh, what's your take?
2: I mean, I'm always concerned about the opposing passing game, and I know that USF's is really bad, but it doesn't mean that I'm not concerned about it. Um, we should be more concerned about Marlon Mack. He's a really nice player. um But, like I said, I think I trust Schaefer, and uh, unless it's the Georgia Tech debacle, I I really trust his defensive staff to shut down the run or at least contain the run. Um, We even talked about it's Leonard Fournette. He had the big runs, but overall, Syracuse did about as good a job as anyone has against him. Um, Now, uh, the other concern is Quinton Flowers can run a bit, uh, which has Mm -hmm. generally given us some problems, um, especially with a young defensive front. Uh, which can be sucked in a bit. Um, he averages like five and a half yards of carry. He has two touchdowns. He's their second-leading rusher. Um, so that does scare me, too. Uh, the chance of, like, some bootlegs and PA fakes. Um, some, I don't even know if they run, like, uh, how much uh, option stuff they run. But that that always concerns me pretty much every year in Syracuse. Yeah,
1: and I know we've uh, you know, we talked about it ourselves um On the podcast, I wrote an article last year about how SU really was kind of struggling against uh, mobile quarterbacks. Since Schaefer came in, that's not a knock on Schaefer necessarily, but a question, especially since um, you know Hunt's been under center for so long for this team. Um, Now Dungey is another mobile quarterback. Uh, It's been confusing why this uh, the team has kind of you know not had an easy time with these mobile quarterbacks. I think it's because either they sell out for the run or the pass rush. Whatever it may be, um, it's it's always seemed like this is it's a pain point, and I know even before Schaefer, um, it was a pain point. But obviously, everything was when we were terrible during the Greg years, Gerg years. Um, On defense, uh, I know it was what I suspected when we were talking to uh, the guys over at you know Bulls twenty four seven, the the twenty four seven Sports affiliate for uh, USF, formerly Voodoo Five at SB Nation. they you know, seemed to think that their young DBs, similar to ours, um, had talent but didn't always use it well. Um, they were going to get caught looking a lot. They were going to be out of position um, a ton. Um, they apparently used nickel a bunch, and that was with diminishing returns. Um, it seemed like they were exploited a bit against Memphis by the end of the game. Um, I don't know. I know, Dan, you said you really didn't watch uh, last week. I, know I watched a decent amount of... Of that Memphis USF game, and to me, yeah, I, I think that that the USF uh, folks' uh, kind of assessment was dead on.
2: Yeah, and it should be noted that Memphis is a really, really good offense. Yes. Um, so holding them to 24 points in general is a pretty good effort. Uh, but the stats do kind of bear that out. I'm looking. Um, USF is. Uh, I just I lost it because there's so many stats in this page. Um, something like a uh, hundred. They, they're explosive plays are a problem for them. Um, which is good for Syracuse because that's a focus. Lester actually said it in an article today uh, which kind of confirmed all of our thoughts Is it's supposed to play really like a big focus of his. Um, I found it. Uh, they're averaging, the, they have a, a 118 rank in defensive, passing down uh, ISA points per play uh, at 2.15 uh, yeah, 2.15 which is like way above the national average which is not good and then their rushing is at 112 uh, ranked 112th so um, this team can be gashed uh, for bid plays, which Syracuse has made kind of a staple of the offense in this early season, which is nice for us. Um, and like you said, the DBs don't seem to be a strength. Their front does seem to be a strength, it, very similar to what Syracuse looks like. Um, they're actually fourth in the nation in defensive line havoc rate, so uh, they're getting after the quarterback. They are uh, knocking out passes at the line. They're forcing fumbles. Um, luckily Syracuse has been pretty turnover free too. I think we've thrown three interceptions, two of which were off deflections, uh, both the hunt and the Mahoney interceptions were both not really their faults. Um, the, the, and we've talked about it in articles recently. Um, Syracuse does not shoot itself in the foot this year, which is kind of a crazy turnaround compared to last season.
1: Yeah. You know, I think those mistakes, I think it's funny because, uh, when we're talking to the USF guys, they, uh, they were talking about mistakes and they said USF's real chance here is forcing turnovers. Um, and they said, "SU's biggest shot, um, you know, to really pull away from this one is, is forcing their own." And I was going to tell them, you know, "Well, lucky us! <laughs> like we don't we don't give up turnovers this year, apparently, and we uh, we have a knack for forcing some." Uh, I mean, even against LSU, we managed to. Um, SU's just done a great job of getting after the football. Um, you know, again, causing that havoc. Uh, we always speak about. I know, um, in general, you know, havoc is a great metric. one of several great metrics that we performed really well on this year. Um, and it's incredibly beneficial, um, to us to really, um, continue that trend, obviously against USF. I think that their, their offensive line is young. Um, it can be kind of messed with a little bit. This team in the trenches kind of reminds me of, uh, of central Michigan, a tad, um, obviously not with the same, um, you know, skill player at quarterback As Brandon Rush, I don't think that Quentin Flowers Really holds a candle But, um, you know, looking around the rest of that team um, They might have a wide receiver or two It seems like the running backs are uh, You know, present past Marlon Mack um, And in general, on the defensive line Like you said, they, they put on some pressure I mean, Central Michigan really pressed us At the end of, uh, at, in the second half of that game um, Obviously we're just trying to kind of ride it out uh, with Mahoney in instead of Dungey, but well Mahoney and Wilson instead of Dungey, but nonetheless uh, they were able to get pressure on us, and this offensive line started to cave a little bit um, by the end of that game. And, and and I could see USF doing more of the same if this one gets a little too close.
2: Yeah, I'm actually interested. I'm looking up the stats now. Um, their leading yeah. receiver is actually their second running back, Ernest Johnson. Um, he's at least listed as a running back on the SB Nation profile. Um, and I trust that's what he is based on yeah. like everything here. He has four catch, four touchdown catches. He's a leading receiver in yards, catches. He actually averages 16.4 yards of catch, which is a ton for a running back. Um, and that scares me a good amount because of our cornerbacks' ability to tackle in the flat and uh, our penchant for covering soft. Um, and it's also, you know, quarterbacks can always get into a rhythm by dumping off like that and uh so that's that could be something to point at um for our defenses is is, you know watch out for passes out of the backfield we haven't seen a lot of teams we've seen short passes tear us up like central michigan but we haven't really seen it going to the running backs it's more been over the middle um and finding the holes in the defense um but this you know I'll, i'll be interested to see if this is if they choose to attack syracuse kind of out of the backfield um not just running the ball which is what they do well but um Trying to take advantage of our blitzes with some screens to the running backs, um, some quick flare outs, and, and trying to get one on one situations with our corners who are very, very bad at tackling.
1: Yeah, you know that. I mean, you brought it up, and it just nothing I read too far into until just now. But, you know, if they're going to, and I haven't really took a no, taken note of it, but if they're going to have Mack and Johnson in the backfield at the same time, that could really cause some issues for SU um, as they get exploded by some screens um and really kind of you know it could keep us off balance as we try to guess you know is this going to johnson is this going to mac um i know that they're pretty high on mac and i think he's a good player i don't think he's a learned Fournette. so it's possible that you know su already having gotten past the best back um on the schedule or prepared for anyone at this point but i guess the other option could be that they're worn down um, by that fact um the one saving grace, I guess, is that they looked very good against running backs not named Leonard Fournette um, later on in that LSU game um, when he'd had himself tired out, things like that. Um, so I guess looking at this game um, kind of as a whole, Dan, what do you see happening for SU, uh, and and what's your like kind of quick prediction on this one?
2: Um, as I said earlier, I think Syracuse will win this game. I feel pretty good about it, I think. You know there are some interesting matchups that USF to try to exploit, but overall, I just think Syracuse is a better team. I think they're playing with some confidence right now. Um, I think the LSU game, if anything, will probably help the confidence. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if it's a slow start, but I think I think it'll profile a lot like the Wake Forest game. Um, maybe not. Maybe not quite uh, be quite as scary because they're you know Wake John Wolford had a really good game. I don't think Flowers will do the same um, in terms of a score. Uh, Syracuse has been floating around. The 30 mark uh, all year. Um, USF, comically, apparently can't break 17 points. Uh, they've scored 17 the last two games. Uh, so I'm going to take Syracuse to win 31 to 17.
1: All right. Uh, I guess for me, I see, you know, I think Mac might find some effectiveness. I, I think Johnson's a, a dangerous weapon for them. I think the early part of this game gets us a little edgy, um, but I see Syracuse being able to pull away. Um, Third quarter, it seems like we've done a nice job here and there. Uh, in the fourth quarter, in particular, I think we've really, really uh, figured out ways to pull away. Hopefully, we don't have to wait until then, but uh, I got 30 to 13. I think SU causes a couple turnovers. Um, gets after Flowers. Uh, I don't think it comes without its struggles. I think that Mac, like I said, does some things. Um, Flowers might find some ability to run on us until. Um, He's kind of forced to pass more, which I think that's again, you know, when Ellis when when Syracuse starts to pull away, um, is when you start forcing teams to pass too much, and then, um, you know, you can kind of rest, you know, five defensive backs back. You can start to rush five. I think there's a lot of things that we can do um, once that team is is in pass only mode, um, as we saw against Wake Forest. No, we're not great against the pass, but. Um, you know, when a team is, is kind of in pass only mode, we've had decent results. Um, I'd say bad against CMU, but very good against Wake Forest. Um, so, yeah, I think 30 to 13 is my final. Um, you could easily convince me at 24 to 13, same deal. I think uh, Syracuse knows what it's doing, but also um, could have a bigger test um, against it than maybe we're even ready for. It.
2: Even more importantly, who do you think wins the, the punt-off between Riley Dixon and, and Matthias Chiabatti, who we've heard so much about this week?
1: Well, I mean, if if Riley's about to lose the contest, I think he'll, he'll will the ball a couple more yards uh, with his mind, and then try to punch a defensive back
2: to make sure that he wins it. Such a thug.
1: <laughs> Such a thug. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Kirk Herbstreet, and no, actually it wasn't Herbstreet, it was uh, Sam Ponder and... Uh, uh, it was Pollock. Was it Pollock? I think it was Pollock.
1: Yeah. That's the dumbest segment.
2: That was so stupid. And,
1: like, you know what? I think Pollock actually has some, like, interesting points sometimes, and I think that Ponder... I like both a, of them in yeah, general. Yeah, Ponder does a great job <laughs> of, like... I actually think she does an even better job than Aaron Andrews did um, in the same role of of just getting, like... I mean, I thought that her doing the, uh, the virtual reality simulator was great. Uh, I think in general she just does a great job, you know, getting in there with the fans and, and really, you know understanding, you know, what makes, you know, the college football game day experience special. Um, and, and it's just weird and, and kind of, I don't know, confusing why she's like in, in that segment. That I don't know whose idea it was, uh, but it's a bad one just because it doesn't really yield anything. I mean, it seems like they were trying to replicate Come On Man for, Yeah, uh, for their NFL coverage, and it just it just falls flat
2: yeah it streamed like we have we need like five minutes here and like we need to go to the bathroom let's do this thing <laughs> very much agreed
1: all right um so i guess we could wrap there um everyone be sure to watch syracuse versus usf on cbs sportsnet at three thirty eastern time this saturday uh and dan thanks for joining as always been a fun one
2: yes looking forward to going to four and one and everyone uh furthering the eric dungy nfl hall of fame uh talk
1: that's the spirit all right for uh for dan this is john you've been listening to troy Nunes an absolute podcast and uh be sure to rate review subscribe the whole deal on blog talk on itunes and go orange let's do mets
0: <laughs> at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion